Awesome. Thanks, Evan. It is uh, really good to be back um, on this uh, on this team, kind of being a part of it. And uh, so I am excited to be here tonight and to share with you guys, um, uh, diving into Jonah again. And uh, I might, uh, just forewarning, uh, I might be using a lot of puns tonight, um, unintentionally, intentionally, whatever. Uh, I just want to apologize beforehand. So um, they might be funny, they might not. I don't know. But laugh if they're funny. I don't know. Um, so Jonah. Um, we are walking through this book uh, of Jonah, this, this uh, book within the Minor Prophets. Um, and what I believe about Jonah and what I have, have seen in studying Jonah and really um, getting into it is that this is a book that I believe that all of us as, as adults should be wrestling with. Um, this is a book that we should really be um, diving deep into wrestling with the truths that this book presents to um, our lives and to our perspective um, and relationship with God and who we believe God to be. And so I hope that through this series and through hearing, um, hearing us speak about Jonah that you guys are continuing that conversation through whether it's through small groups or just uh, within your own homes, around the dinner table, whatever, uh, with a friend group to grab some coffee and just really um, get into uh, the deep truths that are found in the book of Jonah. Because um, I know that just in, in studying this, um, this book for tonight, I have found some, some deep and amazing truths about who God is um, to me and who God is in, in the Bible. And just to uh, really quick recap um, last week, what, what Ben kind of laid out and presented um, is one that Jonah is unique among the prophets in, in that um, it's both historical and a parable, he said, right? It's both historical and a parable in that it's historic that we are talking about a real prophet. Jonah really lived and he was a prophet um, amongst the kings in Israel. And um, he spoke to real people and he dealt with real people and he was called by God to a real people of Nineveh. And, um, and so it's a real prophet with real people and this is his real story, right? But at the same time, it's a parable because uh, it's uniquely a story. It's uniquely a story that Jonah tells. It's his story, um, but a parable is, is really just a story told in order to reveal a deeper truth, a story told to reveal a deeper truth. And in this case, a deeper truth about who God is and who we are um, with God. And so this is, this is Jonah's story, and it's told through a very artistic and literary narrative. Okay, And um, three points that, uh, that Ben laid out last week that we want to pull and grab overarching in this parable, in this, this uh, book of Jonah is this. Number one, that God is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Overall, God is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And number two, that God graciously pursues the lost. He graciously pursues those who are not following after him. And, uh, and number three, God graciously pursues his own people. 
God graciously pursues his own people. And in this third point, we're going to park here tonight as God graciously pursues Jonah. And graciously pursues in a way that um, I don't think that we often think about grace. And I don't think that we often think about grace uh, in this way. But, but we're going to look at it. Um, so Jonah, like I said, is a unique among the prophets, but it is a prophet nonetheless. It is a book of prophecy nonetheless. Um, and we need to understand this to really understand what's going on in chapter 2. We really need to grasp that to see what's good, to understand chapter 2 for its full and what, what it is. Um, because uh, the, the prophets, they often have... Um, it has the same message. Although it's, Jonah is in the same, is in a story fashion, it's, it's told as a story uniquely, um, it has a, the same general message that God wants to show us that all the other prophets do as well. And it's this, that if you look through all the other prophets, you'll see this theme, you'll see this cycle happen. That, and that cycle is this, that God's people rebel against him. God's people rebel against Yahweh. And Yahweh sends a prophet to tell his people of the destruction they're headed towards and the judgment that will happen to them if they continue to rebel. And then they continue to rebel, and and God gives and, and sends the judgment, and then the people cry out to God. The people cry out to Yahweh, and Yahweh delivers. So we have rebellion and judgment and deliverance. Rebellion, judgment, and deliverance. And if we look closely, that's exactly what we see in Jonah. That, that this is Jonah telling of how God dealt with him. But it's also a telling of how God deals with his people. And, and in this, this is really um, kind of funny because like uh, Jonah is actually a satire because Jonah in, in this story is, is both the prophet and the people. He's both the prophet and he's a representation of the people of Israel who's rebelling. And we see that Jonah rebels. Jonah runs, as, as, as Ben laid out last week, he's running from God. God asks him to go to Nineveh and, and share the good news with Nineveh and, and, and tell them to repent and turn to God. And Jonah runs, and he denies God, not, not who God is. We see in, in chapter 1, verse 9, that, that Jonah knows and acknowledges who God is. We see that he says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He knows who God is, but, but he, he denies and runs from what God is about. And that is the grace of to an undeserving people, right? His grace. And so this leads us, and, and, and we pick up where Ben left off in chapter 1, verse 17. And Jonah says this, that after he's running and rebelling from God and, and running, he gets, um, he gets thrown into the sea by these fishermen of this fishing boat that he jumps on, and he gets thrown into the sea, and it says, and the Lord appointed a great fish, to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
Um, I want to uh, just talk about one thing uh, really quick. And that Jonah tells of God raising up this beast to come swallow up, swallow him up. And Jonah is this representation of God's people as well. So it's talking about this, this beast that, that God raises up to come swallow up God's rebellious people, right? But like I said, Jonah's um, not that unique from other prophets and that other prophets tell of the same thing. And often they even use similar imagery as well in their message to the people of Israel. In Hosea, um, this is so interesting when I, when I saw this, but in Hosea verse eight or chapter 8, it says this, Israel cries out to me, O oh God, we acknowledge you, but Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves and their own destruction. They're rebelling against God. And then he says, Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something no one wants. Although they have sold themselves among the nations, they will, they will now gather them together. They will begin to waste away under the oppression of the mighty king. That Israel is swallowed up. It's so interesting that Hosea uses that, that imagery um, of being swallowed up. Again, in Jeremiah 51, um, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured us. He has thrown us into confusion. He has made us an empty jar like a serpent. Um, he has swallowed us and filled his stomach with our delicacies. And then he spewed us out. And we see these imageries. That, and, and Jonah tells of his story. And he tells of his story that this God appointed. God made this happen. That a giant fish would come and swallow him up. And I believe that Jonah's communicating through his story that God allows this and even enacts these, thing, these things to bring us to the end of ourselves. Just like God and the other prophets enacted this judgment on his people to bring them to the point of crying out to him, God does it again. And he does these things to allow us, um, he allows these things to bring us to the end of ourselves, to bring us to places of crisis, to bring us to places of despair, and ultimately, you guys, to bring us to a fierce dependency on him that we would call to him. And sometimes this is what we need, and God knows it. This is what we need to come to a place where we call on him. And so this is exactly where Jonah is. This is exactly where Jonah is when we come into chapter 2. And, um, excuse me, in all, in all of his rebellion and his running, here's where Jonah finds himself. He finds himself in the darkest place he could possibly imagine. He's in the belly of a beast in the depths of the ocean or in the depths of the sea. The darkest place 
he could possibly imagine. And I want to stop here and ask us, can we, can we relate? Can we relate to a dark place and a dark time in our life? And maybe it's not too drastic, but maybe it's just a time where we felt distant from God. Where we couldn't um, see him and hear him. Can we relate to a time in our life of loneliness and despair? I mean, you just think of what the, that darkness and that place could have been like for Jonah. And the question that comes from that is how do we respond? When we find ourselves in those times of our life, when we find ourselves there in that dark place, how do we respond? Where do we see God? Do we see God? Do we hear Him? And so this uh, is the place that Jonah's at. And this is the place where he begins to recite this poem. In the belly of the beast, he recites this poem that's beautiful. And it acknowledges God. And this is, you know, this is my take on this. This is definitely not exhaustive, but I see Jonah. I see Jonah acknowledging God in four unique ways, okay? Four unique ways that we're going to walk through that God listens, that God pursues, that God remains, and that God delivers. God listens, God pursues, God remains, and God delivers. Um, Let's jump into Jonah chapter 2. Or Jonah, the belly of the beast, he says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which is the Hebrew word for the grave, I mean, he's gone, he's done, right? Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. You heard my voice. And this is so amazing because here's what I think of. That in these times, these are the times where most people would think that God is absent. These are the times that most of us would think that God is not listening. When we feel so distant, when we feel in that dark and distant place, we sometimes and often ask ourselves, is God even listening? Is God even here right now? What is God doing? Is God on vacation, right? Where is he? But Jonah calls out, and he recognizes and acknowledges that God is listening, that he hears and he answers. In the belly of the whale, in the belly of the fish, the beast, that God answers. He goes on to say, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows pass over me. It's interesting that the words that he uses, that he uses, um, you cast me into the sea. Now, last week, Ben talked, and he shared, who, 
Who threw him into the sea, off the boat into the sea? The, the fishermen did. Right? The fishermen literally, physically threw him into the sea. Yet God attributes that to God. Or Jonah, sorry, Jonah attributes that to God. He says, you threw me into the sea. And your waves, your waves surrounded me. And in this dark place, Jonah acknowledges, um, sorry, that, that you brought me to this place, that, he, that God brought him to this place. It wasn't anybody else, but it was God who brought him to this place. Now, uh, I'm not saying that Jonah wasn't responsible for his sin or that God was responsible for Jonah's sin. God was not responsible for his sin. He rebelled. He had that, that will and, and that moral duty, and he rebelled, right? So God is not responsible for our sin, but he may be responsible for bringing us to the place of hardship and a place of dis- difficulty resulting in us calling out to God, resulting in us crying out for him. And, and this truth and this idea is, is best described uh, by a term that was, that was coined by a guy named Sheldon Vanakin called a severe mercy. And this is God's severe mercy. And sometimes we need God's severe mercy in our life to bring us to a point, and it's painful, but to bring us to the point where we're calling on him. And this is difficult for us to, to take in sometimes. This is, this is a difficult pill for us to swallow um, because sometimes, so many times, especially in our culture, we want a safe God. We want a God who is safe. We want a God who, who the moment we turn to him and, and trust him, that, that we have safe pastures to go through. But this just isn't, just, just isn't the God of the Bible. That um, I love what a, a pastor once said, that the only problem with that is the Bible. <laughs> that if you look, God Uses, uses these severe mercies and these difficulties and judgment to bring his people to a place of depending on him. And it's not safe. And oftentimes in this, we want to, uh, because we want this, this safe God, we want to form God into our own image. We want to form and shape God into the image that is comfortable for us, that, that gives us comfort instead of allowing God to shape us into his image. Because when we allow God to shape us into his image, it's uncomfortable. And it hurts. Because he often has to tear away and pull apart and break us in order to reveal who he is inside of us. And for us to see that and come to that. And so he is not safe but he is good. As um, it reminds me of um, Lucy asking um, Mr. Tumnus in the story of Chronicles of Narnia in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe about Aslan. 
the Christ figure. And she says, is he safe? And Mr. Tomlin says, no. No one said anything about being safe. But he is good. He is good. And so God pursues us often with a severe mercy. But he's pursuing us. It's him that brings us to this place. He continues to show, and this is, this is amazing, that in the belly of the fish, this is, this is where Jonah comes to. Picking up again in, in verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Guys, in this dark place, remember, where is Jonah still? The belly of the beast. In this dark, dark place, Jonah acknowledges God's presence. Did you guys hear that? I don't know if you really caught that, but he says, he says uh, twice. He says that, um, yet I shall call and look upon your holy temple. And then again, my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Throughout the entire Bible, the temple represents what? God's presence. God's presence. The temple is where God's presence is. And he acknowledges that my prayer is coming to your presence, that you are present right here, right now. You are present in the darkness. I, you hear me, you listen, you pursue me, and you are present. It reminds me of a beautiful psalm. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12 says, says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I free, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning... And dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall overcome me, and the light about me be night, even then, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is light with you. I think Jonah could have written that. I don't think he did, but he could have. That's where he was at. It doesn't matter where I am. I could be to the depths of the sea, and he was. I could be on the highest mountain. I could run as far away from you as I can, and you're still there. God remains present. And Jonah recognizes this as he's still in the belly of the beast. And then Jonah realizes something and he realizes 
um, kind of this transition verse of, this is what I've done. This is what I've done. He says in verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. In other words, he's saying, when we run after things on our own, we forsake the very thing we're trying to attain. When we try to run after things and seek things out on our own, and it's not God, we, run, we forsake the very thing we're trying to get. When we run after money for security, we forsake security. When we run after a relationship to seek out love, we forsake love. When we run after anger and retaliation to seek peace in our life, we forsake peace. When we run after these idols, we forsake the only one that can give us what we're really desiring and what we're really longing for. And Jonah recognizes this. He's forsaken a steadfast love. And then he says this, verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's resolve is this, that God is still the God of salvation. Where is Jonah still? In the belly of the beast, in a dark place. And he resolves that God is still the God of salvation. That God still redeems. That God is still worthy of worship. And Jonah worships him from the belly of the beast in this dark place. He says, I will sacrifice you. You are the God of salvation. Salvation belongs to you. It goes on to finish up saying, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I just love that God's word says vomit. (laughs) It vomited him. So descriptive, right? But God still redeems. He's still worthy of worship. And uh, just as I, as I bring this in, as I land this thing, uh, I want to ask a few questions of us. I want to ask, um, when we experience God's severe mercy, maybe you've experienced that in the past. Maybe you've experienced a time where, where you've just, that Life is just you're in a dark place or a lonely place or a place where you just feel like you can't hear God and you can't understand Him. You can't see what's happening in your life or why it's happening. Maybe you're going through that right now. If neither of these, I would say that one day, you probably will. And when you're going through these times, I love how 
how St. John of the Cross describes these times. He calls it the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul. But in those times we find God. When we experience these things, what is our response? How do we respond to God? Where do we stand with God? Is God still listening? Is God still pursuing? Is God still present in the suffering? Is God still redeeming? I would say if, if not, if you've resolved that he's not, then you're not looking at the God of the Bible. You're not looking at the God Yahweh. Because God listens. God pursues. God is present and God delivers. So how do we respond to God's severe mercy? I hope and pray that when we experience these times, it would be in a fierce dependence and a fierce trust in Him. Um, I'm going to pray as the musicians come up um, to lead us into worship again. And, um, and I just pray that whatever we're going through, um, whatever it is, wherever we're at in life, um, whether we are uh, in that dark and lonely place or whether we're not, that we would acknowledge him tonight, that we would know that he is here, that he is present, that he is listening, that we would call out to him. And so God, um, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that it's unpredictable. I thank you that it's, uh, we are so undeserving and you lavish it on us anyways. And I pray that we would see ourselves in this story of Jonah and see where we, we are and come to a deeper understanding of who you are and a deeper trust and a deeper love for you. So thank you for loving us enough to hurt us when necessary, to heal us through sometimes often painful times. I thank you for your healing and your mercy and your love. Amen.